no, I, I, I told Carlos before you showed up, Dylan, that every time we start one of these, I manage to have some sort of technical issue. So, every time. <laughs> literally every time. I've never managed to solve it. It's amazing. It. But I think we're good now. I just restarted and unplugged everything twice. That's all. <laughs> all right. So, so talk me through it. How one, like, give us a brief snapshot of, of who you are, what you do. And then like, two, how did you get into this world? Because it's always interesting hearing how people get into it. Yeah, I, I got into it totally, totally by accident. Uh, as a kid, I was just one of those going nowhere fast. No, I was there, like nowhere. And I, elementary school dropout, eventually get my GED. So as, as I got older, I wound up getting the jobs that that kind of educational background, you know, you achieve to. So I was like the head dairy clerk at a supermarket. I, nothing against dairy clerks, but I was a head dairy clerk. I was delivering subs. I was selling cigars on the side, like that sort of stuff. And I had an expensive ex-girlfriend. So I was like, I just, that made her happy getting her things. So I always wanted to get her things. I was that guy. And you don't really, you can't get a lot of things on those checks that you get from the jobs that I said. So I was also 3 a.m. I'd be degreasing a restaurant or I'd be unloading a truck and I just work, work, work. And finally I just discovered eBay and I was like, wait a minute. So found stuff around the house, started the typical way like that. And first thing I sent, don't remember what it is, but I do remember it was like this magical experience. It really was like I sent something in finding the box. I think I used like an artichoke box or something from the supermarket really bad. Like it wasn't what you should do, but I didn't have boxes. So I I sent it out. I got a positive review, money exchanged, and I was hooked. So from that, I mean, I'm not sure how much you want me to bore you with like all the details that take you from from there to now. But I I just continued with things around the house, and then after I sold things that got me in trouble from around the house, it was like okay, graduate to garage sales, and then storage auctions, and then estates, and then uh, I just kept going. And then I was like, wait a minute. I got sick. That's what it was. I got sick. I got really, really sick. And I was still getting money from eBay. I, I found Amazon, started getting a little bit of disbursements, but I couldn't, what we call now, feed the beast. So I was like, I need a model that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that allows me to be sick and still make money. Also around that time, I'm, I'm glossing over the fact that as this eBay thing started picking up in sales, I would start dropping one of these real jobs, right? I don't know if we're seeing a video recording of this, but it's like the air quotes, real jobs. And then my friends and family are like, wow, he's not going to die in prison. He's not going to OD. Like, let's let's support this. So they, they, they pulled up some money, and uh, $81,000 to be exact. And they're like, look, like you're an entrepreneur. We're going to like water this seed. And I, I immediately, at the time, I, I had just discovered Alibaba. I imagine I was the first one that found it. It seemed like I told nobody. I shared it with nobody. It looked nothing then like it does now. And I, I discovered a, um, I'll just call it an adult novelty toy. So I'm doing my best to like be clean here on the <laughs> podcast. But, but a guy slips it on and it has a motor and it has multi-speeds, right? So you get it. <laughs> and I was getting them for 16 cents and I was selling them for 20-something bucks. And I was just like, wow. But you had the delay of ordering them and getting them, and I didn't want to tie up money, and I didn't have the confidence. So when $81,000 came to me, I was like, "That's that. That's just, I'm buying $81,000 of these things, 
And the factory obviously tells me I don't have that in stock. I thought the factory was like not treating me like the serious buyer that I was. Obviously, a factory does not have that much laying around. So I, I immediately started looking on Alibaba for somebody else that knew the opportunity that was presented to them type of thing. And I found one. He went by the name of Usman Sise, factory in Hong Kong, and had all, my, all the inventory. So I sent him all the money, and he stole everything from me. Um, didn't exist. There's no factories in Hong Kong. They're in mainland China. Simple Google search would have totally debunked this whole thing, right? And it was to show you how out of touch I was for the next two weeks that I didn't hear from this person, pure panic. All I kept thinking was, oh my God, a family member of his must have died. I hope he's okay. It was nothing like, I'm going to get you and... I eventually it dawned on me and I started doing some searches and realized not only did I get scammed, but that um, I'm not the only one here. Like this was a really big problem. It still is, but I think people are a lot more educated and Alibaba does a great job of educating. But that still left me in the position where I didn't have money. Um, and I had a lot of people that were no longer really seeing me as a failure or the dairy clerk guy and you know, I, I, I still had friends coming to ask me for advice. I didn't want to go back to that. Broke was something I was good with. I could peanut butter and jelly it in hard times. Like I could do it, but being seen differently was just too much. I didn't tell anybody and I attempted to sell off what little stuff I had, which my most expensive thing was this Movado watch. And believe it or not, pawn shops don't give you very much for like brand new. You love Movado watches. And I, I went to go sell two of my reptiles, a Colombian red-tailed boa and a Burmese python. I'm into snakes. And the person in front of me in the store was paying $25 for 50 live worms. And this was a huge pivotal point, a huge changing point for me. Is you know Tears in my eyes, complete desperation. Smartphone in hand, mind you, I could have just looked this up. But I instead, in a daze, realized, wait a minute. Shovel is cheap. I'll, I'm a hard worker. Where do worms live? And like I'm going to dig all day. And I wind up in a public library, same plaza. I didn't even have to get in my car. And I found an article by a zoologist where the reptile departments could, reptology department could save money by breeding insects instead of paying top dollar on the private sector. So I imagine they breed. I mean, they mate, they eat. I can manage this, right? I wind up buying every bin I can and garage sales, pennies on the dollar to create these enclosures for these insects. And I begin breeding insects and selling them live out of my house. Um, code enforcement kicks me out. I'm trying to fast forward this, guys. But code enforcement goes to kick me out of the house. Um, I bluff them saying, you know, at this point, there's like 3.5 million crickets, you know, roaches, feeder worms, super worms. And I was like, look, if I'll dump this, sir, but if I do, I think it's going to be an agricultural disaster. And they're like, okay, you have until tomorrow. Friend gives me some some free uh, warehouse space. Fast forward like a year of me pretty much sleeping on the floor of this warehouse and boxing and selling stuff out. Somebody purchases, company approaches me and purchases my company for $2.6 million. Um, I mean, I, I, it was a bad deal. It was a great deal for me at that time in my life. So I'm happy for it. But it was a bad deal. <laughs> So bad deal for me. Um, and since my non-compete ended, I've long since started that business again. And now it's one of my highest grossing businesses amongst, uh, amongst other businesses. So, uh, but I use that money. I, I hoard around Miami for a little while. I enjoyed, you know, having some money 
and then realized, you know, at this time next year, I'm going to be broke. And then I said, the only thing I've done successfully was sell online. And I started a, what we, what I guess what you could call now, which sounds weird, but you guys would get it in the Amazon space. We call it a wholesale business and a uh, private label business. And I took on like 16, so I, it just went nuts after that. There's a lot to untease already. And I can see, I can see Jonathan getting excited. So Jonathan, I'm going to let you hit your thing first. Cause I've, I've got like 35 things. I'm just, I'm dumbfounded that we went from broke teenager to ecological disaster to millionaire in like a matter of minutes here, right? Like this That's is the title. <laughs> got it. <laughs> I don't, I don't think this episode's going to get any better than this. We might, we should just shut it down right now. Like, thanks for listening. We'll tune in next week. I, I got it. nothing for you. So, so I get a lot here. Okay. So one I get, I get your point of, we're going to backtrack a lot, but, but I, I get your good. point where you get to this point. Cause I'm at this point now myself, um, where I've always been the entrepreneur friend, but that's been looked at as a negative. Basically I don't have a job and I'm not in college. Luckily I went back and like, we're good now. Congratulations. <laughs> like, thank you. But like, it's always been that way. And so it's always like, it's always been a, a negative emotion that I've carried, right? It's like this weight you carry until things start to go well. And then it does shift. And, and I'm with you, right? I'm like, I'll live in a van. I don't care. But I, I can't stand the idea of people thinking less of me or, or thinking that I failed. It's a hard thing. So you're given the 81 grand and then get scammed. I mean, that's a hard thing emotionally to experience. And most people do that with two grand and it's like life over, right? But I want to highlight the fact that you went through that, viewed it as a learning experience and kept on going. That's a hard thing to do. So I really want to like, like big you up on that. Cause like, like highlight it. Like that's a big deal. Like most people, they lose five grand and it's like game over. I'm done going, getting a job. I'm out. Um, so that's one, two. Okay. So you sell one of the businesses. Did you sell the, the consumable if I can call it that, the consumable reptile <laughs> um, business, or was it the the selling business at that moment? Um, I think I'm understanding your question, but I sold. I it was in a massive leased location at this point because you know I immediately had to upgrade the the warehouse that I was paying half for. So the assets, so to speak, was a massive um, email list that I was compiling. I would say black hat because back then. Amazon gave you all of the information of the client, like of the of their customer, and I would get that. And then on eBay to this day, they still give you that, and I would get that. And I would immediately start. Uh, I've always been a huge fan. I love that everyone thinks email's dead, but like I, I've always been a huge fan of email, and it's been amazing for me. So I, I drove that into an email list and would start getting direct sales. So what what I kept hearing in this was, yes, everyone was very impressed by the Amazon eBay angle that I was selling because that was a kind of a strange thing back then. Like another thing I struggled with was that, you know, people ask you in a networking event, what do you do? You know, now with a badge of honor, I can talk about e-commerce and Amazon and eBay, but back then that was seen as like a socially awkward juvenile hobby that you did in your mother's basement. It wasn't like seen as a career you know, it wasn't seen as financially stable. You know, you couldn't have kids that way. Like it was, <laughs> it was shameful. I was embarrassed of it even. So I, they were very impressed with the email list and the, the asset, I guess you would of that as well as, wow, this is something that they didn't even realize this could happen on Amazon and eBay. 
Okay, nice. Yeah, it's funny because as you're talking about like breeding worms, I'm like, I've literally had that moment where I've done research on like, should I breed, wor- breed worms? Like, that's kind of interesting. Like, cause yeah, it, it's a, it's a weird little niche industry, but like, I feel like there's more people that have stumbled upon that and seriously considered it than are willing to admit, but I'm certainly one of them because <laughs> like, it's super fascinating. It's, but it's a cool like turn of events. Certainly. Um, I know when I got introduced to you, um, and this is not like a quote, but it was, he's got a ton of businesses and a ton of VAs. I was like, okay, interesting. And that's kind of where you were leading into the next point, which is like, it's kind of blossomed into this larger thing. Yes. And, and I want to emphasize here, like, yes, it's, it's over 50 businesses at this point. It's 242 VAs. It's 81 domestic employees. It's, you know, it's some numbers that I never thought 10 of me would, you know, gross or or profit in a year in, in life. But I don't, I don't want to portray that as necessarily this is the roadmap or this is healthy. Like there's, it's, I, I always made the best decisions in, in growth and everything in my business with what I knew then. Um, and, and sometimes you look back and you're like, wow, I could have been a lot leaner here. I could have structured this a lot different. And so that's, those are the directions I'm going, but this is where I'm currently at. Yeah. It's, it's hard for a lot of people to say, okay, I'm here. Carlos is talking about being here. <laughs> There's a big gap, but I think it is important to highlight, like you said, you know, that's a journey, right? Like that's however many years of going from that initial position to where you are now. And like, it's a gradual thing. I think a lot of entrepreneurs or just business owners in general want to make that leap like immediately. They're like, Oh, how do I do that this year? You can't like not sustainably. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it's yeah, going to but- take time. The quote's cheesy, but it's true. Like comparing your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20, that that's, that nails it on the head. Right. And we see that so frequently in the Amazon space where people are like, oh yeah, I need to be a seven figure seller this year. I'm like, it's year one, right? Yeah. Have you ever ran a business before? No. Why do you think that's going to happen? <laughs> and also too, let's just go ahead and, and, and call you out. Why do you have to run a seven figure businesses? Because most people just want to make extra money and they love their job. Do you really need to have, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, it's an interesting place we're starting to get to where we're actually questioning a lot of the assumptions built into what people are saying. It's like, why? Maybe you do. Maybe you actually don't. Maybe you just want to make an extra two grand a month and be, and you're happy. Awesome. Nothing wrong with that. But we're so inundated with like, I have to have X, Y, or Z outcome. Therefore I need to do all the things that I hate. But like you started a business, you shouldn't hate the thing that you created yourself, right? Like it's a weird position to be in. Um, like Jonathan loves his job. Like, he's like, I'm not leaving. (laughs) Like, what's the point? Right. So like Jonathan doesn't need to go unless he wants to go build an eight figure business. If he wants to, that's different, but he doesn't have to. And that's, you know, it's a cool position to be in. Um, so, so how do you, how do you go from, cause I'm interested in this too, cause I've always wanted to build like a portfolio of companies. Um, how do you, how are you approaching creating new companies? Because it's a very interesting thing, right? Like 50 is a big number, right? If you're like, oh, I got like two, like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I can kind of rationalize myself to that. But but to get to that number, what does that typically look like when you're setting those up? Because I imagine you're creating the initial infrastructure and then handing that over pretty early on. That That's a great question. Uh, I, I have to say that there's a new rule that anytime I go to start another business, I need wifey's approval before doing it because it's reached like that it. point. Yeah, <laughs> right. but, you need some friction. <laughs> I'm I'm familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She's like, that's a great idea. I'm glad you want to help the world, but can we like, can we structure that? <laughs> like shelf but, it for like three months. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say it was just experience. 
let me let me say this. Nothing about what I'm about to say is how you're supposed to do it. So, okay, so this is definitely not like you're not going to So, read this you mean anywhere. it's reality. <laughs> yes, like the whole thing about start with the exit in mind. Let's start there. Well, let's back up even. I get into things that I'm passionate about or would like to be passionate about. That's what I do. There's nothing wrong with just going off the data. There really is not. And and nor is starting a business that you're passionate about necessarily guaranteeing you success. Like it's not. But I do. I, I start with something that I'm passionate about or would like to be passionate about. And then since I have, let's call them entrepreneurial business creation skills, I really... A flaw of mine is that I always have those lenses on. We can be walking through Kmart. I'm looking at that and I'm like, wow, that sells for 22 bucks. Like I know the factory at 80 cents and the packaging and I would do this and, and the problem they're having is blank. And that's just how I roll, you know? So there's that. And then the other, the other thing I definitely don't do is start with the exit in mind. I get it. I, I totally get why that could be good advice. Um, I can't put in what I put in to create something without starting with imagining my grandkids working here as this is a family business. So I, I have this like emotional hug that I put on a business that I start, which allows me to look past, you know, you're only sleeping a few hours here to start this thing. And this thing's really only going to do blank, but those are the two major differences that, that I've done to date. And the other one is that I fire myself as the CEO almost Im immediately. I recognize that a CEO is important. I recognize I don't feel that I am a good CEO. I, I mean, I maintain the rights to protect my company and put the CEO I think should be there. But I I thrive in the CMO role. Um, I, I want to get up early in the morning thinking nothing but marketing. Um, so I, I fire myself from the CEO role and I hire somebody else who I think is good for that to allow me to focus on just the part that I want. But you can't start from day one like that. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, you, you have to be able to like cover salary and stuff like that. And it's funny because we, we've had a conversation previously on the podcast where me and Jonathan were talking about, you know, it, it's a weird position that a lot of founders find themselves in where you realize you're definitely the person to take it from zero to one, but maybe you're not the person to take it from one to two. And a lot of people it's like an ego hit. Cause it's like, can I get this business to a million? Yes. Can I get it to 10 or a hundred? I'm not sure. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but I like that you're, you're very clear and you're like, listen, this is what I love to do. This is what I'm talented at. I wouldn't even enjoy doing this piece. <laughs> and so I guess my question to that is, you know, cause I I'm fascinated by it. Cause I, I feel like it's a skill set that a lot of people struggle with, including myself of how to find, somebody to take on that role because you, you hear the, the typical responses of, well, they're just not going to care about my business as much as I do. I agree. Maybe that's not actually that big of a problem. Like we think it is, but like, how are you approaching finding that person? Like what, what qualities are you looking for to where that person can take it and continue to run with it versus just maintaining it? You know, I've never sat down to do a, a job description, you know, CEO for hire type of thing, which I know that's not what you're saying, but I've never done that. You know, I've never jumped on monster.com and just said, this is who I'm looking for. And the guy has to have a sense of humor and laugh at my jokes and, and nothing like that. What's happened is I'm very, again, and, and maybe this is a benefit of starting on something that I'm passionate about. By the time I'm passionate about something to the point that I'm also starting a business in that passion, I've surrounded myself by people that share that passion. That's how I am. I start meetup groups on like every passion I have. 
I start, I love building community. Um, and, and I do that. So what, what's, what usually happens is once I actually start the business, you'll notice that there's like half a dozen people that came along for the ride and not asking for a dollar. Like no one's even thinking about it that way. And then once we get past the excitement and there's actually like work to do, you're left with about three. It's just always been that case for me. I'm down to about three and I get to a point where I'm like, this is too much. And there's one person at one or two people at that point and they're finishing my questions or they're telling me, look, if you do that, it's not going to work out very good. Like you got to, they're, they're telling me what to do and I'm really aggravated with the person. Right. And then I'm like, that is the perfect CEO for my okay. company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're I, finding the person who fits that piece of the puzzle versus trying to find them, you know, um, inorganically. You're just, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I wouldn't even know how to create a job description for the CEO. That, that <laughs> yeah. Like how do you, like, I, I doubt most CEOs are not being approached on monster. <laughs> I feel right, like that's yeah. not how that works anyways. <laughs> but, right, 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 right. But yeah. I think that's interesting. And, um, okay. So, so you're creating an audience, which I'm a firm believer in. That's what we did with the software, with the podcast is, is create the audience first. And I can, you know, definitely vouch to the fact that even in a Facebook group, you have people that just rise up people that are just active and always in there and wanting to help because they just believe in what you're doing. And then you're like, listen, you're a great fit for this. <laughs> like, do you want to take this with me to another level? And if they're on board, it's such an easy decision to make. Right. Hmm. Okay. So Jonathan, when are you going to hire that CEO for the coffee brand? You know, I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking and you, you know, even just last night we were, we being my wife and I were discussing like, what what does the future look like for this for this business and you know we've we've entertained the things like you know it would be great to to sell you know a million units a year like picking out all of these lofty numbers and whatnot but in my head i keep coming back to more kind of abstract thoughts like a really neat goal would be to just buy the coffee roaster that we're hiring to do this right just yeah, in, instead it. you know cuz one of the biggest hurdles for me was i don't want to buy all of this equipment and put out all this capital, right? Well, if we've been doing business for a while and volume's picking up, why, how about if I just acquire you and then bring you in that way, right? And then they've done all of the hard work to exist and now I just kind of get them, you know? Like those, those kinds of goals, checkpoints, whatever you want to call them, that still signify significant growth, but it's an actual tangible, you know, expansion level event right in like a totally like not so cool way i i did that as far as like paying myself in the early stages like i i tried i'm paying myself this flat fee and what happens is your business doesn't always right um so instead i would just look at it as i went to looking at it as a percentage and then i wind up saying you know what we're at a point now where, where my gas gets paid by this and then it was like i've i've reached successful when my light bill is also paid by this so in this case, buying the roaster, I, I don't, I, I feel like I'm out of the loop here. Is, is the brand something that you share on the show? Is it, is it, or is it, it's, it's still, it's still in the early stages, but we have, we have discussed on the show, uh, my starting a coffee business here. Oh, I, I, I'm saying I've, I've successfully exited four uh, coffee and coffee accessory brands. I'm, I'm out of the game, but I have a ton of contacts. Also, if you know, um, Jamie, uh, and coffee cult in, in Fort Lauderdale with his roaster, like million dollar, I'd connect you with him like in heartbeat. Like he's amazing. Jonathan's just getting teed up here. You're like I know, the second I person I'm just, who's I'm like finding, had a coffee, coffee what, business yeah, I know, and what, exited a few and has episodes all the ago, A few episodes ago, we had, 
you know, somebody's like, oh, yeah, you know, this roaster, this roaster. They just ha- also happen to be local, too, like, within, like, 30 minutes of here. And then, like, this person and this person and this person, like, I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I didn't even do anything. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm grateful that these contacts are more or less just falling into my lap. But, um, you know, thinking about what you were saying about firing yourself as CEO, right? Like, in my hypothetical by the roaster that I contracted with scenario here, like I would never want to be the coffee, the coffee guy, right? The head roaster, the like, that's, I have no interest in knowing all of the intimate details on that. So like, I would still want to ensure I'm offloading those things that are incredibly important to somebody that actually knows exactly what they're doing. Right. And I'm entirely fine giving up that responsibility, those executive decisions, Whatever's going to work, whatever's going to pay the bills, so to speak, or, you know, bring in the checks or pay for the, the toys, you know, however you want to measure it. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's too easy for a lot of people to have that idea, Jonathan, and then basically go purchase a job for themselves. And they're like, great, now I have two jobs. <laughs> like, no, that sounds terrible. Like, you don't need to become an expert in coffee roasting overnight. Like, yeah, you want to brush up and like understand enough to make smart decisions as the business owner. But I agree. I don't think you have to. I think it's a very easy thing. And it's a normal thing in the M&A. So like the mergers and acquisitions world, right? Like, I'm going to buy this company. It comes with a CEO. Great. I just own it. And then like, I'm going to strategically help. Or maybe I'm going to buy this company and then that company. And there's a strategic alliance I can add value. But whenever we're building companies, including you know me talking to myself here, we don't approach it with that same idea. It's always, no, I've got to be the main person. But I feel like that's typically due to like immaturity. And again, I'm talking to myself <laughs> as an entrepreneur, right? It's an immaturity as an entrepreneur because I need to be the guy. I need to, to feed my ego kind of a thing. But in reality, who really cares when this person can take it from you know one to five more easily than I can. And I still got my equity. That's still a solid win. So it's just, it's a different perspective. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially in the Amazon space that we're all familiar with here, um, are not necessarily trying to grow businesses that large. It's like, yeah, we do like a quarter million in revenue and like, it's fine. Like that's different. But what we're kind of talking about now is that next level. Right. It's like doing multiple millions per year. It's doing eight figures per year. Um, it's having multiple companies. I mean, that's pretty cool to me. So it's, it's definitely different. Um, Carlos, I'm curious. So you still have, you have people in place to manage day to day operations. How are you then at a higher level managing all those in strategically, you know, trajectory, all that good stuff? Yeah. I, I deal directly with a total of seven people. That's it. I have I have four C level, and it used to just be four. I have four C level virtual assistants, if you will. Um, which I, I don't know if I read that term somewhere. Or I just created it, but they're like your corporate level VAs. So like they're my four C level VAs, and then they have communications with anywhere from six to ten M level manager level VAs, who then in turn have the truly hard job of working with pods of VAs that are between four and six, and each pod has a team leader. So that's how it's structured. Now, the other three actually um, have have come to being because the the meetup group has has just exploded. And I don't start I've, – I've learned my lesson. Like I don't start things until I have a process and a plan. Um, I did not take my own medicine there when it came to the meetup group. This was just a cool thing I'd do on the weekend and I'd get together with a few people. This thing's turned into a a monster with a lot of back-end 
and there was no processes. So I find myself in that position that I would never be in again, which is scrambling for processes and no, just nuts, nuts. So there's, I almost doubled my amount of people that I need to contact just from the meetup group. That's crazy. So plug the meetup group because it's awesome. I, when I drove down, I did not expect that many people showing up and there were like people sitting on the ground. I was like, this is amazing. Like I've never gone to a meetup group outside of one and there was like 12 people, but yours is completely different. So plug it yeah. where it's at and and talk a, a bit about why it exists. It, it's called South Florida FBA um, sellers on meetup.com. Uh, but we, we refer to ourselves as wizards of Amazon. I think I would have changed the name of it too on meetup, but they don't let you. So, uh, we refer to ourselves as wizards of Amazon and that's what we go by on social media, but we meet, uh, now on zoom with COVID, you know, or the situation, let's call it what it is. Uh, we meet 18 times a month. We have 18 live events per month, like a divorce worthy amount of meetups per month. And, the meetups last anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours. Every every other Wednesday, there's an advanced one, and the alternate Wednesdays, there's a PPC one. You know, the majority of the time, there's a topic of the week or or guest speaker, which you've been an amazing speaker twice um, for the group, once in person and, and once via Zoom. And the meetups are 100% free to attend. Um, I recently, about a year and a half ago, started recording all of the sessions, and then people can access the recordings, I think, for like 10, 20 bucks a month. But it's 100% free to attend. Like, no one has to pay anything. And it's been amazing. It's all, so it's not a private label uh, Amazon meetup. It's a, and really, I, I hate to be boxed in by the word Amazon. It, it happens to be the the largest, the area where like the lion's share of my revenues come from, but a lot more than an Amazon seller, and so are the people in the group. Um, so we, we do explore all the models cause we do need some focus, but it's just, it's just a bunch of, you know, online sellers crushing it or wanting to grow. That's, that's the reason, um, started by accident. I was just getting together with some other sellers that started around. I did from the time that I did at a Starbucks and we got tired of telling the same war stories to each other. And you know, the fish thing, everybody, the fish is bigger every yeah. each time somebody tells it, like <laughs> right. we got tired of that. And we were all, we all did very well for each other. I was the one that usually went out and built communities around the different niches and the products that I would sell. So they're like, Oh, go start a meetup. So I started it. Mind you, they didn't show for the first year and a half, but I started it and it's just absolutely amazing, man. It's, uh, yeah. it's been one of the, it's been one of the most rewarding things I've, I've ever done. I have to say your group has been the most engaging and enjoyable group that I've experienced thus far, even like via Zoom, right? We got like however many people, there's like 80, 90 people on the Zoom. I'm like presenting remotely. And that can go one of two ways, right? Like it's either like super dry and it's like nobody nobody says anything. You're like, I don't know if I did well or not. Um, but your group is like, no, let's dive into questions. I mean, we were going deep, awesome conversations. I remember I got off because I think I spoke for three hours straight. Yeah. <laughs> and my presentation, by the way, was... 30-ish, 40-ish minutes. So Q&A after that, amazing. And I remember getting off going into the bedroom. I was like, my voice just went. I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's how engaged that group is. And it's just, it's people that are taking action and executing, which is really fun for me. Because when you're presenting to people, you don't want it to just be like, cool, here's some new knowledge that you're never going to like take and run with. It didn't really add value to your life. But that group really just executes, which is awesome. So well, so, there was like, it was 80 yeah. or 90 at one time for the high 
when you presented, but the total tally on yours was a little over 430 people that showed up and cycled through during that time That's that crazy. you presented. So cracked 400 I'm, people that to, I'm glad you that, didn't tell me that in. during. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's, here's a fun little side, side note. So I, they, you know, Carlos asked me to come down and speak to the group in person in Miami, like year and a half, two years ago at this point. It's like, yeah, let's do it. Um, get down the night before, get in there early, um, have the most amazing food I've ever had. Me and my, my best friend, Jake, who, who drove down with me, still talk about it to this day. Um, and then I get fed, uh, Colombian espresso. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I drink coffee. No, I'm the millennial guy who just chugged down like the most, like the highest amount of caffeine period. And it's just like 90 to nothing <laughs> in front of like a hundred people. So that was fun. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool group. I'm, I'm curious how, so you mentioned a few times you create groups, you create communities, you, you create audiences. What does that typically look like? I imagine it ranges, right? You have the meetup group. That's an in-person thing, but let's say you got a new passion right now. What's the first thing you do? I, I mean, it's pretty general. I, I, there'd be exceptions here, but normally what I do is two things. I look for a, an IRL, like an in real life get together around the subject. And I look for a, a virtual or online social media hangout where people hang out on it. And, and I've really found that I can maximize my experience with it by doing both. Anytime I've just done one or the other, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting the most out of it. So if something doesn't exist on it, I immediately create it. Okay. So interesting. Okay. So I'm a big fan of like mental models and frameworks. Like, so you're basically having a feedback loop, which is it's reactive to like what's going on in reality, right? So if there's not one of those groups, you're going to create one. If there is, you're going to join it and get engaged with it. And then I would imagine the next step there is maybe this group is kind of missing something or we want to take it a different way. Great. Let's go ahead and create our own group. And then that builds. And then eventually that turns into, there's a massive opportunity here to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe I want to start a business in that area, right? But now you've already got the community, the audience to launch to. And now you get to like, product validation, right? So like, it's this beautiful lean model where you're only taking it as far as it needs to go. And it doesn't seem like you're forcing it, which I really want to highlight here because the way I'm hearing that is you're not just saying, I want to do this and you go like full force. It's more just like, let's put out some fillers. Let's kind of see where it's going. It's really looking at where things are in reality. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't live in reality for some obvious reasons, right? You got to dream and have visions and all that stuff. But you are taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm passionate about this area. Let me dive deep here. Let me just get a feel for the landscape. What's going on here? Because right now, at that point, you just enjoy it, right? So you're just trying to enjoy it more and really maximizing that passion. But you're also still looking at it through a lens of, is there something here? And if there is, awesome. If there's not, still awesome, right? You still have that passion, but you're not trying to force something through, right? You're not like, I'm a surfer. Therefore, I'm going to go start a surfing brand. It's like, no, I'm just going to enjoy surfing. But if something comes up, I am an entrepreneur. And that's pretty cool. Like, I, it's a very cool, like, strategy um, that that I feel is very easy to replicate. I mean, it's it's kind of what we did inadvertently, <laughs> not, not by design on our part by any means. Um, but like with the software, I mean, that's kind of how we got into that. So I'm definitely going to have to start deploying that. <laughs> so Jonathan, start joining a bunch of coffee roaster groups. You know, it's the thoughts cross my mind. If nothing else, the fact that I now have all of this present, that presence that Facebook has managed to 
become aware of all I see your different coffee ads, which is great because it's free market research, right? I, I never thought, like, at, at first I'm like, God, this is really annoying. But then I started, I started noticing trends, right? Like what's working, what's not, right? Like I didn't even have to join anything. And this, all of this information is just kind of appearing. And I, you know, I paid zero dollars for it. And everyone's doing the hard work for me. I, I think it's, yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, no, coffee has been so impactful for me, like in all my businesses. So like one of the things with IRL in real life, once I see that those communities work, something I've always done, yeah, well, except for the insects, is, and this sounds like, it is work. It sounds like work because it is work. And that's why a lot of people don't want to do it, is I immediately create, um, I go to farmer's markets. You're about to hear my dogs go nuts working from home, but... <laughs> FedEx guy and Instacart and everybody just arrives at the same time, but whatever. So the, I'll, I'll go to farmer's markets and I'll set up a booth and I'll go exhibit and I, and I will go do that before I place any kind of like mass production order or, or anything. So coffee, the reason that, that made me remember this is all of my booths, regardless if I was selling coffee or not, they would be set up with a French press, a vac pot, a pour over dripper, like every method of making coffee imaginable because it looks like a like a mad scientist laboratory and the smell of the coffee and the bubbling and all this stuff draws everybody like bees to honey and coffee is a very social thing so like i'll talk about my products while we're making free coffee so coffee has been like the most power like i have a local business you know what first six months signs on the road free coffee come every morning just free because it's, it's it's affordable it's yeah coffee's yeah. been an amazing uh tool in my businesses okay yeah that's no, pretty cool when one thing that that crossed my mind is that you know down down in, in my building's lobby in in let's just say the before times um there was a coffee bar it was it, free coffee for anybody that passed through all the residents and visitors and stuff and it clicked me it clicked in my head how do i get my coffee right there how do how do i take over that space right because i can imagine if presented correctly to to the building management if i can make this coffee free for you now you know, I, I can imagine that would be appealing, right? Like there's, there, there's given the amount of people in this building that would go down there every day and drink all of the free coffee, right? Uh, it would be, it would be hard to, you know, reasonably turn that down, right? It's Especially worth a test. Oh yeah, absolutely. If, if nothing else, it's, it, it's worth giving it a shot. And if everyone hates it, well then, you know, experiment over. We, we've learned from it. But you didn't rush to production to be like, I'm going to start a, a coffee business, <laughs> right? And like you, right. you actually got some feedback, which, which a lot of people don't do, right? They just tried to circumvent the entire feedback loop that is the customer, the person who would pay you, right? I love when people are like, I have a billion dollar idea. I'm like, well, what is it? Well, first you got to sign an NDA. One, red flag. Two, like, have you talked to anybody? about this or has anybody paid you a single dollar? Well, no, I haven't told anybody. How in the world do you think this is a billion dollar idea? Pinterest told me so. Right. right. <laughs> and then what's great is that person will never, never go pitch somebody and be like, Hey, I think you're the right person. Here's what I want to do. Send me 20 bucks on PayPal. If you want it, won't do well, it. Or, or the other one that gets me like in the same vein is they'll say, the biggest hurdle that they need to overcome in the beginning was to somehow set up their social media to where it does not somehow identify them. And they're like, like they can't be connected to this thing at all. And I'm like, which is the what? opposite of what you want, right? Like when you're starting a new thing, you are yeah. the business, right? Like, yeah. I mean, when we started aura, it's like, I have to convince people to try a brand new repricing tool. Do you know how difficult that is? Like, because people are like, no, 
at one point, a, a particular tool did drop everybody's price to a penny on all of their SKUs. So like there is this I remember. fear. <laughs> so there's this fear. So I knew I needed people to trust me and my co-founder James, not the company, not the business. Cause that doesn't matter. They need to know that I will take care of them. So like, you know, a lot of what we did was just getting our faces out there and talking and building relationships. And people are like, you know what? I'm willing to try it because of you. And that's all I needed. But yeah, a lot of people do want to have like this faceless business where like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do anything, but like I want a million dollar business. Like not how this works. <laughs> not typically. Yeah. Like if you got the money to go buy one and just, and they it, want sure. investors. Oh yeah. They want investors too. Yeah, like, I'm going to invest money with you and you don't even want to be the face of it. Like that's convenient. I I'm gonna, I'm, yeah. I need $3 billion to start this business. Have you ever ran one before? No. How much are you offering? 10% equity. Mm, don't think so. <laughs> like, sorry, my dude, not how this works. I'll not give exactly you 10 reality. bucks for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting situation, but, but I think there's, there's a lot of strategy there. And I keep coming back to feedback loops in life because. I've just found them to be so useful when you add clarity to like, okay, what we need now is validation. Okay. That's a feedback loop. Okay. What we need now is a different type of feedback loop, which is maybe in marketing, right? So when you're doing marketing, right, I'm going to go try all these different channels, which are each a feedback loop to tell me which one I need to double down with. Like right now I'm about to double down on SEO because that has a higher conversion rate than Facebook ads right now, like dramatically. Okay. Feedback loops, right? It's helping me make smarter decisions where it makes me look smart, but really I'm just looking at data and be like, that's bigger than that. That's what we're going to do. And, uh, it's cool. I think it's cool when you have clarity around those things. Um, you know, we'll, we'll start wrapping up here shortly. I think the last thing I have and, and Jonathan jump in, if, if you have, you know, anything else is, you know, me and you kind of geeked out Carlos about like automation early on and, and all that stuff. Um, you seem to be kind of passionate about that as well, whether that's, you know, technical automation or human automation, like walk me through how you approach that. You, you kind of mentioned Instacart a second ago. I assume that's part, you know, that's, that's one version of it in your life, but what does it typically look like? How do you view that from a personal side? Well, uh, until I interviewed you on my podcast, I thought I was like God's gift to automation. And I just realized that I'm crawling out of my shell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I thought I automated everything, but I didn't realize how many – not that there's not – I know you'll know what I mean by this, but not that there's not major things that you don't automate, but I didn't realize how many tiny things yeah. I was not automating because I just knee-jerk reaction thought it's not worth doing the automation for because it's so ridiculously tiny. And I have not implemented, I'd say, 70% of what we talked about. Um, and as a matter of fact, I did my typical thing. I immediately went off and got a totally different tool that you didn't mention. Nice. And, or you might have. I think I grabbed Text Expander. I started no, with Text Expander. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Great, great tool. Started with Text Expander, dropped a bazillion snippets in there, and I realized, wow, like how much longer was it taking me to actually reply to that? Because I was like, ah, I'd like, like 20 minutes of bandwidth for that. And instead, it's like Z, S, blank, blah, done. <laughs> so very powerful. Um, I try to automate. I try to automate almost everything. Uh, I, I routinely go back to uh, when I sold that first business, and I, I was mentioning that I hoard around Miami. I splurged on two things. One of them was an organizational coach, since I felt like I, I lacked organization. Started a relationship almost immediately. She was hotty. It went nowhere fast. I didn't get my money's worth. But well, I didn't mean it that way. You know what I mean? Like I didn't get the organizational right, money's right. worth. <laughs> and then the other person I hired was Chris Ducker. Um, yeah. Who. 
Yes, oh, early, okay. a long time, a long, long time ago. He was really heavy into. I think he still is. I think he still has. He is, yeah. For, right. Yeah, um, I have now his he's book. Like Upreneur. He's amazing. Great book. Great book. Yes. Yeah. So virtual freedom was now that you can get it. I think for nine dollars and ninety nine cents. That used to cost forty k in coaching, by the way. So I, I paid that. Wow. And my entire foundation of working with virtual teams and by extension automation started there. Um, so I routinely build those four lists, um, as like an audit of myself, um, every month. And I see what made it onto the list or what snuck back onto the list and, and then work on a way to automate that off. Can you uh, real quick for the people who haven't read virtual freedom, which I would highly recommend, especially if it's like 10 bucks. Um, what are those four lists that you're, that you're referencing? Yeah, a list of everything that you love to do in your business, everything that you hate to do in your business, everything you do to grow your business, and everything you do to manage your business. Um, and fill those lists. And you got to be honest. That's critical. You'd be surprised how many times you find out you lie to yourself. Like, I have a, you know, customer service. Customer service is like the easiest thing you're supposedly that you can hire out to a virtual assistant. I, I think I'm going to take customer Wrong. service with me to my grave. Wrong. Like, I'm going to take it to my grave. <laughs> customer service is like almost a revenue source for it me. It is like, literally, I'm listen, I'm telling you right now. So we just brought on uh, an internal employee named Finn who's handling like day-to-day Monday through Thursday for me right now. What's great? I'm going to highlight systems here. While I was doing that myself, I was writing SOPs for me and internal knowledge. So when we hired him, he goes, what do I do? I go, this. And he goes, <laughs> Easy. Okay. And so from day one, he's crushing it. But, but I agree. It is a revenue generating tool because a VA is just going to be like, Oh, they want to cancel. Cool. Not be like, Oh, why do you want to cancel? Oh, well, cause you guys don't have this. Oh, actually we do. You just didn't notice that. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. I actually want to stay with you. Amazing. Or the person's like, Hey, I'm considering using you. Here's my concerns and having somebody actually take the time to write out amazing answers. And that person converts. Like, no, that is a pillar of any business that should not be, that should not be outsourced to a VA in the stereotypical quote unquote VA style, unless it's straight QA. Listen, if it's like, what's your pricing? Okay, fine. But if it's like users or like customer customers, that's different. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I refuse to let it go. Um, Later on, a book came out and kind of validated me called Hug Your Haters uh, by Jay Bear. I don't know if you read it. No. Highly, highly recommend okay. um, But But a lot of people feel like that is a an easy thing to just, you know, VA out, right? It's but, so not, though. I'm saying that to say, like, for me, I held on to that even though everyone said, well, you're doing successful and you've done this and you've done that. Like, well, you shouldn't be holding on to your, you know – you know, customer service, you know, such and such book said, that's not what an, an efficient entrepreneur, blah, blah, blah. So for somebody else though, like I have some people in my group that are very successful uh, by, by their own definition and, and just generally do really well financially. And they, to this day, they love taping boxes. Now for the life of me, I don't understand that, but they so love it. It's like therapeutic. I love putting okay? boxes and closing the boxes. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Do you get closure? But- it's got to be some kind of closure thing because it's like me and, and chopping wood. Got to do it. I can't tell you why. I see a stack of wood. I'm like, give me an axe. I want to go ham for like four hours. It's I th- therapeutic. I, I, I think it's it. it's the satisfaction of the the completion of the transformation. That just sounded like a bunch of garbage words. But like you take you take a bunch of stuff in a pile and now you've converted it into like this final form. 
right. that's like ready for somebody. You know, if that makes any sense, like yeah. that's a super like you need way to put to that about. in a book because you just like you just turned <laughs> right. packing a box into something beautiful. Like, like a that's philosophical amazing. notion. We we spent part of an episode once. Uh, I'm just talking about packaging, just putting things in, and shipping stuff. Right, like it's. I'm sure that episode did terrible because who who the hell wants to listen to that? I don't know, but I it's do. it's something. <laughs> And I've told my wife this many times, like, I just, I like shipping things. I, I don't know what it is. I like obsessing over shipping rates, shipping plans, you know, logistics company. Like, there's just something, I don't know, maybe it's, it's really hard to explain. But like, if you, if you're at all familiar with it or have those kinds of particular like ticks, like, you know, exactly what that feeling is like. It's, it's a hard feeling to describe, but once you find that thing, that's just like, oddly satisfying as you're doing it like that's so you no, but, need but, but, but you, you should you, that would mean that you should put it on your list but what a lot of people do when they create their list is they're like it's almost like somebody's gonna see this and if somebody sees that i put this in my like or my dislike column then they're gonna think different of me so you have to be honest with yourself when you create those lists and and i you know i i redo them every month religiously and then i i build systems around it i also look at I guess the final bit to answer your, your, your question is that I, I look at tools as not that I'm paying for a tool. I look at it as if I'm hiring the tool. So every, and this is how my team is trained to look at it. And it's like, you want to bring on another tool? I need to see a side-by-side comparison of what this would take if we hired it and what it looked like trainings, the, the whole, you know, soup and nuts. And then what it looks like if we're paying for this tool to actually do it. And then when it, when everybody box at, you know, it's a hundred dollar a month tool. Are you kidding me? That's super expensive. I'm like, that's cool. That's okay. Go to Upwork, go to Fiverr, go to Mechanical Turk, go wherever you go and do whatever you do in your hiring process and hire it, hire it cheaper. And, and when you look happen. at it that way, right, it's not going to happen. And when you look at it that way, so that's how we approach it. I create the lists and then I, I look at what is on the list, what made it back on the list. And then I apply automations that way. Not always a hire. Sometimes it's a tool that's hired. Yeah, no, I like the idea of hiring a tool. That's really cool because now it just becomes like a managerial accounting decision. <laughs> it's like, it's not, because it is interesting how people in our space, in the Amazon space specifically, are so agnostic. Not agnostic, they're like scared to death of anything that costs over $100 a month. But I'm like, that's going to save you 10 hours a week. What's your time worth? Like, and that's not even considering the fact that it might directly have a positive ROI. Well, normally, normally, anytime I've had somebody do that, we never make it past the what skills would be required. So if we were hiring a person, instead of hiring the tool, I'd be like, okay, the person we're hiring, they obviously start with, I just need entry level. Entry level, that's all I need. I need the person to be entry level. I'm like, okay, what are the entry level skills that this person needs to have to accomplish this? Like, let's stick with the repricer to do this repricing on your 50,000 SKUs, right? So... Once you once they start writing that out, and I was like, "Oh, the entry level person there needs to know calculus." Huh? no, I'm just exaggerating, right? right? And it's like, well, you that's basically not kind need of entry somebody level, with a right? bachelor's degree, right? But by, by the time you're done with it, and that's what's interesting is like, a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's a hundred bucks a month." I'm like, "Yeah, but it does it twenty four seven. So they're like, "Well, I could hire a VA to do that." I'm like, "How many hours a day? One hour a day." That's vastly different than twenty four seven, right? And so it's like, man, one even if you wanted to do that yourself. It would take so much of your time 24-7. You wouldn't have a life. You wouldn't grow your business. And if you wanted to hire somebody, even for a dollar an hour in, in segment 24-7, it still would cost you so much money. 
you know, so it's like, it's a very interesting psychological place to be at where a lot of entrepreneurs get to that place. They're like, that's going to cost us X. I don't want to do it. Right. But what's the alternative? Maybe that's okay. Maybe that, that extra, I mean, listen, I'm in software. J- Jonathan knows this for whatever reason, people who run software businesses have the most expensive, expensive SaaS um, subscriptions. Ours are like 500 a month, normal. But guess what? I'll pay you a grand a month if I know it's going to save me a ton of time or it's going to make me more money or make it easier for us to continue to scale. But a lot of people don't view it that way. And it took me a little while to get to that place. Don't get me wrong. I remember looking at $100 subscriptions and be like, I don't know, man, that's kind of pricey. But now we're looking at you know, a thousand dollars subscription per month. It's just the cost of business, right? Like when I look at, when I look at things, tools that I have to purchase or subscribe to for the things I'm building, I I try not to look at it as like the the dollar amount, but rather how many, how many widgets do I have to sell to make this break even, right? Oh, it's only seven. Sign me up. You know, like it's saying it's only going to, I only need to sell seven of my thing to pay for this every month is a lot easier for me to consume, especially in the moment than, oh, it's $195, right? You know, like that, it just because the psychology of it being a such much larger number, automatically you start hesitating when you really have no good reason for doing that yet. We went through a lot of different areas. So I appreciate you letting us kind of, you know, pull you around a lot today. Had a blast, man. Um, but, but where can people find out more about you as a person, as an entrepreneur and what you got going on? Uh, I'm extremely active right now on on Instagram uh, at Wizards of Amazon uh, chat group. I mean, I know the listeners here are not all Amazon sellers, but I'm also very active on a Telegram chat group we have, which you can find at Amazon seller uh, Amazon chat group dot com or the good old fashioned way. I mean, no one takes me up on it, but you can call or text me at three zero five nine zero two one two eight three. And I that's, love that. That's the best way. <laughs> What's great is you get to pull back capacity because most people won't do it. So it actually doesn't flood you. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there, Carlos. I'm not quite there sharing my phone number yet, but like I'm getting there. <laughs> well, dude, I, I seriously appreciate it. Um, you, you have an incredible story. It's really, I mean, I, I just did not know this much about you, which is really awesome. I feel like I've only had a high level view of, of where you came from, all the things you've done. Um, but, but thank you for sharing how you view things, your perception of things, um, that lens that you view through it. It's certainly had an impact on me thus far. Um, especially after this episode, I now have some new strategies I need to start working on and executing on. So I just want to say like, dude, I, I really appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate you. I'm, you know, I'm very happy. I was able to be on the show. It's, uh, you guys are awesome. Keep up, keep doing what you're doing. We'll keep geeking out. Yeah. <laughs> See, I always have the best exits. You you have to say something something witty that makes me think I need to edit it out, but I don't at the last minute. I, I say it or you do it. What a- anybody? <laughs> this, it's generally it, last last week's episode. It we j- it just turned into a hard garbage fire at the very end, and it was it was great. And I, I it left it all in because was, you know this is beautiful. I don't. I mean, if you look at a, a burning dumpster and think it's beautiful, that's fine. fine. It's called you art. Know? It's abstract, Jonathan. <laughs> God, okay, you uncultured swine. <laughs> oh God. <laughs>